uh, one from the Old Testament and the other from the New Testament. The first passage is from uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and the second is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. I will be reading from the NIV. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now reading from uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. May God bless us through the reading of his word. Thanks, Uncle Boon, for reading God's word for us this morning. And good morning, everyone. It's really wonderful to be able to share God's word with you this morning. There's a surreal thing that was happening to us this morning. We were listening to one of the worship songs in the car and singing along to it in preparation for today's service. And then we realized in the background, Ezra was singing Baby Shark. <laughs> Maybe I can open us in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. You are holy. You are so majestic. You are so glorious. And yet, you say we have nothing to fear. And yet, you've given us your word, your perfect wisdom, to teach us more about you, to teach us more about yourself. And so we pray, Lord God, that as we go through your word this morning, the story that you have written into our history, that you give us your Holy Spirit to write these on our hearts. Open up your word that we may see the beauty of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I was young, I was afraid of monsters, and so I had difficulty sleeping. Then I got older and more mature, and I was afraid of not getting into a good school or getting a good job. So I studied really hard, and I became really stressed when it came to exams. I was afraid I wouldn't have any friends. And so I became really worried about what other people thought about me. And then I became more mature. I became an adult. And I started to be afraid that I wasn't living my life to the fullest. And so then I started to compare myself with others to see whether I was living a fuller life than they were. And then I became a dad. And I could write a novel on the things I'm afraid of for my children. What are you afraid of? Those are, th those are some of the things that I am and was afraid of. What are you afraid of? Fear is such a big part of our Singaporean DNA, isn't it? We don't realize it, but for many of us, the people we have become, the lives we have lived, have actually been shaped by the things and people that we are afraid of. You know, in Singapore, we even have words to describe specific fears that many of us have. 
To be kiasu is to have a fear of failing or losing out. That's why we like to queue up. Kiasi is to be afraid of death. What are you afraid of? This month, as Oli shared last week, we're going to be taking a break from our regular series of going through the book of Romans. And each week this month, we're going to be looking at an important theme in the book of the Bible. And we're going to be doing something slightly different. We're going to be taking that theme and examining it through the lens of biblical theology, which just means we're taking a theme and we're tracing it, tracing the thread through the storyline of the whole Bible and seeing how it reaches its climax in Jesus Christ. And this morning, as you may have guessed, we're going to be looking at the theme of fear. So let's get stuck in. We're going to start off by looking at two verses from wisdom literature in the Bible that form the foundation for our sermon for this morning. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So we learn three things about fear from these two verses that form the foundation for our sermon for this morning. Firstly, that God calls everyone to fear Him. God calls everyone to fear Him. True wisdom is fearing God. But we learn secondly, that we don't naturally fear God. That's why God needs to tell us over and over again to fear Him. And thirdly, we learn that fear and obedience always come together. If we fear God, we will obey Him and do what He instructs. So with these as our foundation, we're going to start tracing the theme of fear in the Old Testament, starting with creation and fall. The story of the creation and fall. And the word for fear or afraid appears, first appears in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. Many of us know the story. God created the world. He created Adam and Eve. And He gave Adam and Eve one commandment of what not to do. He said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we all know how the story goes. They did. They did eat of the fruit from the tree. They disobeyed God. And as a result, they became afraid of God's judgment and anger. Look at Genesis 3 verses 9 to 10. And this is, this, this is an account of what happens immediately after they've just disobeyed God. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. You see, before we go on, we need to clarify there are actually, when the Bible talks about fearing God, there are actually two types of fear. There are two types of fear when it comes to fearing God in the Bible, and it's something like this. Imagine you're in a war, and your side is led by this great warrior who leads all the armies on your side, and this warrior is so powerful and so skillful and he has killed thousands upon thousands of the enemy. He's so powerful that everyone on your side, they, you treat him differently. There's a respect and awe and almost reverence of him for how powerful he is. 
But that's if he's on your side. Imagine now if he wasn't on your side, he was on the other side, and you are his enemy. That would change how we feel about him. Awe and respect and reverence will become, well, truth be told, terror. Being terrified that this warrior would use his power on us, the enemy. And that's a bit of how it is with the two types of fear we're talking about. The first type of fear is what Proverbs 1 verse 7 is talking about, the fear that God calls all of us to have of Him. But in this case, we're fearing God not just for His power, although He is powerful, but we're also fearing God, respecting Him for who He is, His holiness and majesty, a fear, respect, awe and reverence of God that, like we said earlier, leads to obedience and, and, and being willing to live under His rule as our King. So we see in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it was because they didn't have this first type of fear. They did not fear God the way they should. They wanted to take control of their lives instead of trusting God as their king. And because of this, because of their sin and disobedience, they became gripped by the second type of, type of fear, a fear of God's judgment and anger. You see, they hid from God because they realized that God was no longer on their side. They had become afraid because they realized that they deserved nothing but God's anger and power to be used against them in judgment because they disobeyed Him. They were ashamed and hid because they realized how unclean and sinful they were now compared to how holy God is. And isn't that how it is with us as well? The guilt and shame and fear that Adam and Eve felt after disobeying God, isn't it something that all of us have gone through before? We've done something wrong, we try to hide from God, and then we try to deny that we've done anything wrong, and then we try to shift the blame from ourselves to others, and then we try to shift our blame, the blame to God, until eventually we are gripped by the dread and guilt and fear of what is to come. From this first episode, from the story of creation and the fall, we learn that if we don't obey God, if we don't fear God, we will disobey Him. Disobedience comes from not fearing God the way we should. And this disobedience results in judgment and a fear of God's judgment. So the story moves on. God punishes Adam and Eve for their sin and kicks them out of the garden. Sin has entered the world. Humans no longer fear and obey God as they should. And the world enters this spiral of increasing sin. God punishes the world again with the flood. But that doesn't help people continue to sin and disobey God until almost out of nowhere, God suddenly appears to a man named Abraham. And what does God tell Abraham? Look at Genesis 15 verse 1. He says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
And then look at what God says later on to Abraham's son, Isaac. I am the God of your, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And then later on, God says this to Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Isn't it wonderful? Amidst mankind's sin and blatant, repeated disobedience to God, we learn something new about fear. We learn that there are many things that we are afraid of, but that if God is with us and for us, we don't need to fear anyone or anything. If God is with us and for us, we don't need to fear anyone or anything else. You see, Abraham and all his descendants had, a good, had many, many good reasons to be afraid. They were surrounded by people and nations who were bigger and stronger than they were, and these nation, many of these nations wanted nothing else than to kill them and wipe them off the face of the earth. And in that context, in His grace, God promises them that He was for them. And so they had nothing to be afraid of because God is bigger and stronger than all those others who wanted to kill them. You know, there's a, there's a line in the Chronicles of Narnia where, where the character Susan finds out that the king of Narnia, Aslan, is a lion, and she says, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. To which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. You see, it's the same thing with God. God isn't safe. God's power and His presence are terrifying because He is so holy and powerful and majestic. And if He is not on our side, we should be scared stiff. But God is good and He will do what is right. If He is on our side, if He is with us and for us, not only can we stop being afraid of His anger and judgment? We can and should stop being afraid of anyone or anything else, of monsters, of school, of work, of failure, of loss, and even death. No matter how big or how scary or how strong the opposition is, God is bigger and stronger and infinitely more powerful than any darkness this world has. So, you know, um, my family and I, we just came back from a two-week trip in Vancouver. As some of you all know, we are going to be moving there for about three, three to four years. And I'll be honest, right, um, as we think about the transition going up there, there are a lot of things that I'm afraid of. <laughs> I'm afraid that my kid won't get into a good school. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that my family won't adjust to the new environment. I'm afraid my kids won't find friends. I'm afraid my wife won't find friends. I won't find friends. I'm afraid that we will not like the weather 
That one, maybe no choice, like Ian. But I'm afraid also that we, we won't find a community that I will struggle in school. There, there are a lot of, and as we were going through this trip, there were a lot of things that were constantly coming up that we were just afraid of. And there was this, I remember there was this one moment we were driving through, we were driving uh, north of Vancouver and we were looking at, there's this beautiful mountain range. And I was, and I was, there was one time we, we, we stopped the car and I, we just came out to take a look and drink in just the entire mountain range with the lakes and all the trees around it. And I just became so, I just had a realization of how big God is. That, that everything we see, He holds in the palm of His hand. And I, I, to be honest, in that moment, there was just this feeling of how silly I was to, be a, to have fears of all those things. Because the truth is, when we have realized how big God is, we will, we will realize how small our problems really are. If God is with us and for us, we do not need to. We should not fear anyone or anything else. So we move on. Abraham's descendants, sorry. Uh, projection, can you just let me do the next slide? Abraham's descendants, uh, Israel, take possession of a land that God has prepared for them. Both before and after they enter the land, God reminds them again and again to choose to fear and obey Him instead of anyone or anything else. To have the confidence that God is with them and for them as their king. And for a time, that's exactly what happened. Israel did fear God. After God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, we read, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in His servant, Moses. And later on, when the presence of God came upon them in Exodus 20, we read, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They started off by fearing God, but we also learn is that the fear never lasts. And we start to see a pattern. The people fear God immediately after a display of His presence and His power. But as the memory of His presence and His power fades, so does their fear of Him. God has rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And then He calls them to enter the land that He's prepared for them. But what do they do? They rebel against him. They looked at the people that God told them to invade and looked at how big and strong they were and decided they would rather fear man instead of God. And so God punishes this whole generation who die out in the wilderness. None of them enter the promised land. And instead, for the next generation, God, again, through his power and his might, the next generation enters the land. And again, initially, after seeing what God has done, they fear and obey God the way they should. But the pattern repeats itself. Israel chooses to fear the other gods of the land, the gods that other people are worshipping, instead of the one true God. And eventually, after reminder, after reminder, after reminder, God punishes them again by doing what He did to Adam and Eve, by kicking them out of the land. 
Look at 2 Kings. And this, referring to the exile, occurred because the people of Israel sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. And doesn't the pattern of Israel seem familiar to many of us as well? God does something for us. He answers a prayer and we fear Him. But after a while, we get distracted and, and, and we start seeing what other people are afraid of and we start to fear the same things as they do. We start to fear people and things instead of God. And this is the same pattern we're seeing over and over and over again in the Old Testament. We will all fear something or someone. That's the way we are wired. So if we don't fear God, we will end up fearing someone or something else. And if we don't fear God, we will end up disobeying Him. And if we disobey God, there will be judgment from God and a fear, a dread, a terror of God's anger and judgment. And so with these repeated cycles that we see in the Old Testament over and over again, we come to the end of the Old Testament with these two questions that remain unanswered for us. Firstly, how can I know if God is with me and for me? God was with the Israelites. We saw the promises to Abraham. But then God withdrew from them after they repeatedly sinned against him. How do I know that hasn't happened to me? How do I know that I don't have to fear anything else, that God is with me and for me? And secondly, how can I possibly fear God enough so that I don't have to fear his anger and judgment? How can I be good enough to avoid judgment? And actually, if you think about it, aren't these the same questions that not just us, but the whole world is, pretty much the whole world is trying to answer? Doesn't everyone want God or their version of God to be with them, to be with us and for us? Don't we all want to get to the promised land, whatever the promised land is for us, and avoid divine judgment? And you see, the difference between how Christians answer these questions and how the rest of the world answers these questions is found in the person of Jesus Christ. His authority, His love and assurance, the good news of what He has done and how we are meant to respond to the gospel. So, we start off with looking at the authority of Christ, who is also called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ came to earth and His presence and displays of miraculous power caused people to fear Him in the same way that they feared God because He is God. And this is what the gospel writers record for us because they, this is what they want us to see. Look at, how, look at what they, some of the things they write about Him. After Jesus heals the paralytic, we read that when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. And after he calms the sea, and, when they were, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And after his death on the cross and he is resurrected from the dead and his tomb is found empty, we read, 
So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. You see, what the gospel writers want us to realize is that Christ is God and therefore he has the authority to answer these questions for us. And so what's the answer? The answer is this, because Christ perfectly obeyed God on our behalf for no reason other than fear, we can have full assurance that God is with us and for us. We read in 1 John 4 verses 17 to 18, there is no fear in love for perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with judgment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, Christ's perfect love that, is displayed, that was displayed on the cross casts out fear of any punishment or judgment for those of us who have put our faith in Him, who, consider, who call ourselves followers of Him. And so as His followers, we can have this full confidence and assurance that Christ is with us. He promises this to us Himself. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Paul writes, on, writes later on to the Romans that we can be confident that Christ is for us. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So to the two questions we had hanging at the end of the Old Testament, how can I know if God is with me and for me? How can I fear God enough so that I don't have to fear His anger and judgment? The answer is this. Look to Christ, the perfect wisdom of our God displayed for all of us. Christ who obeyed God on our behalf. You see, when Christ was in the garden, wrestling with the agonizing thought of His excruciating death on the cross and of being separated from God, when He said, not my will, but yours, when he was beaten to a pulp, when he's nailed to the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was perfectly obeying God on our behalf, whatever the cost, to the cost of his own life, so that we can have full assurance and confidence that he is with us and for us to the very end of the age. And so for all of us this morning, when we struggle with those two questions, when we struggle with assurance that God is with us, when we have fears about our salvation, when we struggle with guilt and shame after we have disobeyed God and chosen our will over His, look to Christ, who said, not my will, but God's, whose perfect love casts out all fear, who enables us to fear and obey God the way we should as followers of Christ. You see, Christ didn't die just so that we can have full assurance that God is with us and for us. Christ died so that we can have full assurance that God is with us and for us, to empower us to fear God as we should. The assurance is not the end of the story. God is with us and for us so that we can be empowered to fear Him the way He created us to. Look at Romans 8 verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, 
Abba, Father. You see, as followers of Christ, Christ has rescued us from slavery and fear of sin and empowers us instead to fear and obey God as we should. And this fear that we have of God now is meant to be the soil for our obedience to grow. As Paul says, therefore, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your, salva- your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see, what we see here is when we struggle with obeying a commandment, when we struggle with obeying God in some, in, in some, in some area of our life, it's actually, it's usually not the commandment that's the problem. Most of the time, our disobedience or struggle with disobedience is a symptom of a deeper problem, that we've forgotten what God is like and what He has done, what it cost Christ to die on the cross for us, and forgotten that we have God's with us and for us to enable us to fear and obey Him as we should. And so we stop fearing God as we should. So for those of us who are struggling with disobedience, let's start by reminding ourselves of who God is and what He has done, of what it cost Christ, and that we have God with us and for us, full assurance to empower us to fear and obey God as we should. We remind us of this because obedience flows from fear. But even as we address disobedience in our lives, we must also address ungodly fears in our lives. Just as disobedience reveals a lack of fear of God, a fear of man and man-made gods reveals a lack of trust in God. Jesus teaches us, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, we started this, this, uh, this service this morning asking ourselves, what is our greatest fear? What would it be if our greatest fear were to happen right now? For how many of us are our greatest fears physical and temporal? People and things that kill the body. School, work, family, friends, health, wealth. But for others of us, our fears may really be spiritual and eternal fears. But what our struggle is with is we don't know how to overcome it. We try to ignore it, but it's still there. See, Jesus tells us these things because God has saved us so that we can not only live for the spiritual and eternal and not the physical and temporary, but we can have full assurance that we don't need to fear the spiritual and the eternal. We don't have to live we can, be, we can live for that which has eternal value and not live gripped in fear and slavery to that which does not ultimately matter.
Jesus obeyed God so that we can rest in freedom from fear of anything else, from fear of the darkness in our hearts or the darkness in this world, in the assurance that though our sins are many and the sins we see in the world are many, God's mercy is more and God is with us and for us to the very end of the age. And as we fear God together, and I'm going to end with this, as we fear God together, there's something very, very special that happens. So you see, in the Old Testament, appearances of God's presence and demonstrations of His power caused people to fear and respect Him. During Jesus' life, Jesus' presence and demonstrations of power caused people to fear and respect God. And so after Jesus ascended into heaven, what is it that causes people to fear and respect God the way they did to Jesus and to God himself? Look at Acts 2 verses 40, verse 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe, which is actually the word used for fear, came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It's really such a wonderful thought. As we fear and obey God together as a community, as the body of Christ, what we are doing is we are representing Christ to everyone else. And what God says is that God will use us, our fear and obedience of Him, to cause a fear and awe of Him in everyone else till we, as we await Christ himself to come again when we will see him face to face. You know, just this past week, uh, my three-year-old Josiah was looking out of our living room window and he asked Jess a question. He asked Jess, Mommy, where is God? Can you point him out to me? Is he next to the car park? Is he next to the other block? Is he next to the road? Where is God? And in some sense, the answer is God is everywhere. But in other ways, as we just read in Acts, God's presence and power can be found in us, the church, his body. May we fear and obey God in such a way that when anyone asks us that question, where is God, we can just point to <laughs> our church. May we fear and obey God in such a way that God would use us to bring an awe and fear and marvel of Him upon every soul so that when everyone sees us, they would look, they would see us and, and they would fear God the way God created us to. Let's bow our heads. We started the service by asking ourselves, what is our greatest fear? And we ended by asking ourselves, not what, but who is our greatest fear. Oh, 
I want to give us a couple, a few moments to, to think about what does my fear reveal about my relationship with God? If we're being completely honest with ourselves, is my greatest fear a fear of that which ultimately does not matter? Fear of serious illness, fear of death, fear of death of a loved one, fear of a lack of money, fear of being left out, fear of failing, fear of disapproval, fear of fear of what's happened in the past, fear of uncertainty about the future. For others of us, the fear is really about the spiritual and the eternal and we are, we are terrified. We, are, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where we're going after we die. We don't know if God is with us and for us and we have this uncertainty as we yo-yo in and out of God's favour. What does my fear reveal about my relationship with God? And as we think about that, we need, let's think about how is God prompting us this morning to address these fears? Perhaps it's to look to Christ and to, and to take hold of our full assurance of salvation because His perfect love casts out fear. Perhaps it's to realise how big our God is and therefore how small everything else is. For others of us, maybe we've not been following Christ the way we should. We've not been fearing and obeying the way we should, the way we've been created for and empowered to do. And God is reminding us that He is to be feared, therefore we should fear and obey Him. Gracious God, You are holy, holy, holy. And we are not. You are great, and awesome and powerful and we are not but yet you sent your son to die on the cross for us so that we can have full assurance that you are with us and for us and so that we can be empowered to fear and obey you as we should and so Lord God we, we pray now that those who need assurance will be assured those that need to cast out fear will cast out fear that those who are of us who are struggling with the darkness will know that your mercy is more, that we can look to you and rest 
in your perfect love that casts out fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and sing our song of response. Let's praise our God for the assurance that we have in Christ to fear God as we should, the one with the power to forgive our sin. Grace greater than our sins.